This is the Maga Mavericks podcast from allcomic.com, episode 63. My name is Colton, and uh, yeah, so, oh boy. So if you have not listened to the episode before last episode, I'm sure that's a little confusing at this point for anyone just kind of jumping into this episode. Um, I basically promised that uh, you guys would get to listen to our discussion of My Hero Academia 2 Heroes with our good friend Maxi Bernard, along with a few other my Hero Academia things that we talk about on the show, such as All Might Rising. Um, and look, I'm not going to sit here and explain everything that happened again. Like, it, it, I didn't put it up. Uh, Lum and I basically recorded a news episode and was like, you know, let's just upload this and then we'll upload our My Hero Academia discussion the next week. And I'm just kind of like, okay, that's fine. Because you know what? Uh, basically, I would have just gotten this episode out of the way so I could have more time to work on the next episode of Manga Mavericks. That is going to be probably twice the length. I'm just going to put that out there right now. Uh, what it's about, um, if you follow us on Twitter, you probably already know, but I'm going to, for some reason, not tell you guys right now because, it, because you know, whatever. I like to keep things a surprise, even though everybody probably already knows what we're going to talk about next episode. But anyway, so uh, I promise this is not going to be another broken promise that uh i mean obviously uh you guys are going to see it in your feed so you know i'm not going to break your promise uh that uh you are going to finally get to listen to our thoughts on the uh first my hero academia movie that had a limited run in theaters via funimation over here in north america and i believe in canada um so yeah we talk about the movie uh, we talk about our experiences in the theater. Uh, Maxi gets jealous of uh, how big our pretzels are at one point. <laughs> and really just our uh, our theater experiences as a whole, apparently. Uh, that stuff was pretty funny. Um, and like I said, uh, originally this was just going to be kind of a discussion of uh, the prequel manga that uh, Viz put out a, about a month ago at this point uh, called All Might Rising, which is essentially a prequel manga to My Hero Academia involving All Might, and it's sort of a tie-in to the Two Heroes movie. Um, we even talk about the uh, the filler episode from the anime that basically was just a big advertisement for the movie. Uh, Lum gets to rant about that for a little bit. Uh, at the time, I hadn't seen the episode, so I didn't really have much to say. But oh boy, uh, we basically, we essentially talk about a lot of My Hero Academia things, so... Yeah, it just kind of turned into another My Hero Academia discussion, essentially. Um, so, yeah, um, enough stalling this episode. I really just want to get this out there. So, yeah, um, I really hope you guys enjoy this episode. Um, I guess I'll see you guys at the end of the episode to plug stuff. I don't know. Enjoy. Plus Ultra or whatever. My hero. Yo, show me what I gotta do. But I think that about does it for thoughts on the latest jump starts, and I think we should move on to some My Hero Academia stuff. Yeah, let's talk about My Hero Academia 2 Heroes, and lead into that by talking about the one-shot manga that is tied into the movie, My Hero Academia All Might Rising. Which you can read for free if you have a Viz media account with Viz.com. Yep, it's uh, obviously it's available through the website or through the Viz Media app. Uh, so, you know, if you haven't read that yet, you should go read it and then come back in case you don't want to be spoiled. It's only 10 pages long, but it's like 
surprisingly informative and important backstory for All Might. Because we see a lot of stuff happen in this chapter. That, like, it's hinted in the main manga, but we did not actually see. So it's like, wow, I feel like maybe this should have been in the main manga itself some of this stuff maybe we'll get expanded upon later but yeah i mean it begins showing nana's last stand with all for one apparently and uh it was apparently in like the senior year of all my time at ua and she basically sacrificed herself to defeat all for one and apparently messed him up pretty bad because we see all for one in this chapter and he has like a pretty intact face he doesn't seem to be as scarred and uh deformed as we see him in the main manga so nana did a wonder on him it seems but yeah so we learn that nana died when all might was 18 and after that is when he started getting training by uh gran torino and then after he graduated ua he went to the U.S. to train and get stronger, to get all his might, as he puts it in his chapter. And so it's like we're telling you a lot of important stuff about All Might's past and like what motivated him to go to America. It gives us hints of some things that we didn't, we were implied in the main manga, but we didn't actually know for sure yet. So. Uh, it's actually pretty informative. It's not just like a simple movie tie-in. It's kind of like Strong World Chapter Zero, uh, which actually showed you a lot of backstory stuff that you know was actually pretty informative to the world of One Piece. So yeah, yeah, it's, I liked it a lot. I I was really impressed. It's kind of strange in a way that stuff like this is being handled through a tie-in comic to a film, which in itself is appearing like it's going to have a lot of important like canon to it rather than it being like an actual arc in the comic i kind of like that also really i've i've always had the assumption with all for one scars from how they've previously shown it in the comics that that's related to his use of power because like the amount he has and how much they cover him seem to vary depending on a uh, where in the time scale it is perhaps, yeah that perhaps might be an element for him but it seems like his face is like pretty intact in the panel we see it here yeah which again again would make sense to me because this i think is technically the earliest point we've seen him like outside of that recent flashback in the my hero academia comic proper yeah that that makes sense to me i think i mean obviously this like prequel chapter uh like was already out in japan like well before then because this was this was originally as we said earlier in the show was originally included in uh in volume origin which was given out to the first million people who saw two heroes over in japan so um but yeah i really thought i'd like i was kind of surprised how much we got out of this prequel chapter um and i i agree with sid that it seems weird that this wasn't included in the manga proper but i like that this wasn't just a movie tie-in that like it, like if you're a fan of my hero academia you really got something out of this and you really you really got to experience the emotions that all might was going through at this huge time in his life and it was really like i was not expecting uh something like this to be as emotional as it was like i i read like I, I read this at work and like i Ooh, I was my chest was tightening up. I was starting to feel feelings, and I was really trying not to tear up at work. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, like when when you guys told me this was going to be part of the jumpstart discussion, 
I was really expecting like a, a big nothing, like literally just a bit of vague allusion <laughs> to the movie and then like it to then it to be like, hey, watch the movie. But as someone who's very unlikely to actually see the movie till like next year when it's out on like DVD or Blu-ray, maybe in the UK, like uh it works really well as just a just a standalone story. I wonder if we'll get this in print over here, considering I mean, obviously this wasn't a part of a you know, a normal Tonkaban release over in Japan. So I don't know if we'll ever, maybe, maybe if they do like a box set of My Hero Academia volumes, which I'm sure they will at some point, considering yeah. how well it sells. But I, like, I considering yeah. how like reliable box sets are for Viz, they'd be crazy not to at this point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, My Hero Academia is a gangbuster seller. So they, there is money to be made with a box set for sure. I, I could I could see this being like a bonus because I think they did the same thing with Strong World for one of the One Piece box sets as well. Mm-hmm. Mm. I I could also imagine this being the free comic book day thing they give. Oh out yeah, like I didn't think about mm. that either. I think it worked really well for that, and it's like a it's a short ten page chapter, so they wouldn't have to like just put ha- like half of a chapter like they normally do for other things. So that'd be nice. Yeah, hopefully, I'm hoping this comes out physically at in some form at some point, because I would love to own it. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of with Maxi. Like, I was excited to read it because, like, you know, I hadn't, obviously, I read this before I went to go see the movie, like, a week or two later. But, like, yeah, I was kind of expecting, I wasn't, like, my expectations were low, because I've been sort of disappointed by these movie tie-in manga type things before, like with things like, uh, uh, like with Kazuki Takahashi made for uh for Yu-Gi-Oh! Dark Side of Dimensions Transcend game when uh when that came out a year or two ago at this point, um, you know, like it, it was nice to see, uh, you know, Takahashi come back to draw Yu-Gi-Oh! in his current style because his current style is amazing. And it's <laughs> it, 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 considering like Takashi is notoriously um like ugly as far as, uh, that sounds like <laughs> I was making a personal attack. Considering Takashi's art style is considered notoriously ugly because of like Yu-Gi-Oh, which was kind of a deliberate choice. Like it's janky because it looks interesting that way. Like the fact that Transcend Game was so ri- ridiculously beautiful, just I I love that. I love that a lot. And it seems like a shame that that really wasn't the most interesting two-part chapter that could have ever come out no because it like mm-hmm. like because i don't remember it really having any like any importance or relevancy like to the movie in particular which kind of disappointed I mean, it me fe- it tied in because it featured like the movie only characters like doing something with kaiba yeah so it set up things that were later gonna be in the movie but it was not like the most necessary like things you needed to before you watched a movie and it certainly wasn't giving you more backstory on characters like strong world or this all might rising chapter do yeah like, i mean uh I, again i'll i'll trust your guys judgment on this because as i've said uh i don't get around to watching <laughs> like anime movies i i've not managed to go and see the Yu-Gi-Oh one yet it's in like my itunes wish list <sighs> maxi um, it's good you need to see it really good a really nice epilogue to the original series. I really want to get around to it. I want to get around to so many, so many anime movies at some point. Hell, even mm. the dub's pretty good too. Honestly. Oh, the dub is great. You, you say you say this like the Yu-Gi-Oh dub has not always been absolute top tier. <laughs> 
honestly, four kids, uh, we gave them a lot of crap for how they treated some of their shows. But when it comes to Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh, I still enjoy those dubs. They are like a e- blast. even though they're kind of funky, they're fun. I literally have spent the last five weeks watching <laughs> Pokemon on Twitch. Every I've re- basically rewatched all 270 episodes of that original series split into the first five seasons. And I love every episode. I, I still love it. I still love it. I mean, look, I want to go on record and say that, yeah, look, as much as I, as much crap as I give for kids, some most of the time deservedly so, like... Watching, like, at least 80 episodes of the original Yu-Gi-Oh! Duel Monsters in Japanese, as far as voice acting goes, man, it's a bit, um, it's not bad. I don't want to say it's bad, but it's not... Well, yeah. It's, I mean, it's, e- yeah. even with Pokemon, like, the original Japanese is just far better voice acting. Well, actually, I was going to say, I actually kind of prefer the acting in the English dub. Um, no, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I kind of do. <laughs> Something people forget a lot because it's so easy with watching anime to other the um the Japanese voice acting experience for lack of better phrasing, but a lot of a lot of the Japanese voice tracks are shit, like just just <laughs> a, just atrocious and like dubs aren't necessarily better. But the whole thing is is pe- people assume subs are better because they can't understand that they're shit. Exactly. Yeah. Well, with Pokemon, it, I think it legitimately is better acted, especially when you're comparing, uh, honestly, like the Pokemon USA seasons, the seasons after four kids. Like, I don't know. Maybe it's part of my bias. But I'm, but I'm I talking feel specifically like about really Yu-Gi-Oh. Acting. Like, OK, yeah, hmm. I was talking about Pokemon. So I guess we were. I mean, I'm just we I'm confused. just thinking four kids in general as well, because like, I was going to say, like, um, I, I can't think what prompted me to remember it. But like the ultimate muscle dub for all its flaws still had, like, the the majesty of Dick Dick Van Dyck. It still had, like, that amazing, that amazing Forkins voice for Kid Muscle. great jokes sometimes, you know? Like, older James's gay jokes in Pokemon. Hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. It's easy to forget sometimes that Four Kids was not just removing the guns from One Piece, Sanji's lollipop, and the Four Kids national anthem. Like... <laughs> okay, occasionally they stumbled into greatness. Um... Hey, here's the most fatuous thing I'm going to say on your podcast, and I'm I'm sure no one will care, but I'm sorry if anybody cares. I think Four Kids historically was more interesting for dubs than Funimation, because every Funimation dub's the fucking same, guys. It's the same. Mm, honestly, and I... And that's not yeah. bad. Well, that's Funimation really, that's... does have a very limited pool yeah. of voice actors. And, and Funimation, they're really reliable. But so does Four Kids. Like, in f- watching Pokemon, how many times is Lisa Oritz playing a character of the day? It's ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. Like, there's a there's a lot of representation with Four Kids, too. But at the least, you've got some people doing some crazy messed up voices because they were just doing the sloppiest work imaginable. Funimation <laughs> is really professional and neat and frankly amazing for what they do, especially with the simul dubs. Yeah. But the mm. thing is, that doesn't make it interesting. No, I, I agree true. with that. When it comes to interesting dubs, like, 4Kids is definitely, like, fun. Like, why would you edit re- English text? Not even Japanese text. You would take <laughs> out and remove English text from signs. Why do you give yourself extra work? Why are you digitally editing rice balls and replacing them with donuts? Why are you going this far? Because we, we, can't, we can't have younger kids knowing that Japan exists, guys. Like, it's a conspiracy. <laughs> 
Well, which which is again, it it comes back to uh, what made the um the dub of Boba Bo so amazing is because it took that sort of weird intent on removing all sorts of um feelings of something being Japanese and said, "Hey, we're going to keep all the Japanese stuff in because we don't have enough time or money to edit, and we're just going to change the jokes to be about how we can't read it." Get those Japanese words off of me. (laughs) (laughs) So good, ah. I, I think that's kind of the power of whenever we talk about anything that relates to dubs and subs that I'm on here, because I I don't think about it very often. I'm not an anime guy at, at all, but some things are special, and My Hero Academia is pretty great too, which makes me excited to hear what you guys actually like thought about the movie itself, because was, was that shown dubbed or subbed to you guys? Like, ha- ha- well, I think both Colton and I saw dubbed screenings, but it is also showing subbed as well. Uh-huh. Um, so my thing was, um, the dub actually wasn't my first choice because I think um, I remember catching the first two episodes when they premiered on uh, Toonami a couple months ago at this point. Um, and I didn't think it was bad by any means, but like, I... I don't know. It it just wasn't clicking for me for some reason because I think I'm just so used to hearing to watching the anime in particular in Japanese. So I'm mm. I'm just I'm just more used to those voices. But uh you know, I I guess like the more I've I've watched the dub cuz I've I've been catching you know a couple episodes, you know, here and there uh, from the sports festival in particular. And honestly, aside from like maybe one or two voices that I think just in my mind just don't fit in particular, um, Shinzo's in particular, I've told, uh, I've told you, Lama, off mic, but I just don't, he just, he just doesn't sound like a teenager to me, and that's just me in particular, but outside of that, like, I actually think the dub is pretty good, and, like, it's, it's the kind of dub that I don't mind showing my dub-only friends, that I'm not, like, completely embarrassed by at all. <laughs> what kind of dubs are you embarrassed by? I don't, like, I guess, um... I probably need to watch more of this, but like, I was kind of turned off by like the Tiger and Bunny dub in particular. I just wasn't really. I thought it was a great. Dub. Like I said, I I know I probably need to watch more of it, but that first episode I saw dubbed, I just wasn't into. But I, that I could, my mind could totally change on that though. I don't want to make it sound like I'm just totally against it. You know, forever. I, I feel like I'm about to ask a really bad question that could open a whole can of worms. Oh no. Um. Is Tiger and Bunny good? Because I hear about it a lot, but I've never, I've never seen an episode. I, th- I think it's good. Yeah, Tiger and Bunny's a great show. It doesn't have an ending. It has an open ending, so a lot of the mysteries are never resolved. But like the core relationships in the show, like that between Barnaby and Kotetsu, that's really great. Oh, and like the central mystery, like like who killed uh, Barnaby's parents, and then the revelations that tie into that, and then uh, all the stuff with Lunatic is all really good. So because they're uh, they're they're franchising it now, and that caught me off guard because I. I heard like great things as it was coming out, but it just wasn't really available to me at the time. Uh, which again, I, I'm a big fan of uh, uh, the character designer Masakazu Kasura. Uh, well, his manga, anyway. Um, but like, I, I'd completely forgotten about it. And then when it got announced, it was like getting franchised out into like a much bigger thing. Like everyone really went wild, and I wasn't expecting that. And now I kind of realise I might just have this massive hole in anime history that I should be paying attention to. I would say it's worth watching, Maxi. Like, I, re- mm. I really do think you would just fall in love with Kotetsu in particular. Because he really is just, like, the best anime dad. 
I'll have to give it a go. I, I think it's made it to Netflix UK now. So who who knows? Maybe maybe on Twitter I'll start doing a thread. I will. I'm never going to do a watching thread. I don't watch <laughs> things reliably enough. Um, but in in theory, I should watch you, it. You should watch it and report back to us as soon as you do. I'm I'm taking this as a serious recommendation because I've. When people say something's good, my normal response is to say, well, I'm never going to watch this now because you've told me it's good. <laughs> but this, I am actually curious. You guys made it sound decent. Next time I'm on this, uh, the first things I will say will be my opinion of Tiger and Bunny. I will hold you to that. No, no matter what the subject matter is, it could be on about like... I was trying to think of a really dark joke, but I don't feel like we need that right nowadays. <laughs> it, it, we could be talking about some sort of national tragedy, and the first words I'll say is, Tiger and Bunny... Yeah, I was gonna say. You know, like that. I was gonna say reality's <laughs> already dark enough, Maxie. Um, so exactly. But anyway, my hero academia. So, uh, yeah, like I said, I, I saw it dubbed, and honestly, like at this point, I've really like come around on the dub, and I actually do think it's pretty good. Um, like I'm at the point where I don't, I don't mind watching it either or. And I just want to say, I know it probably sounds like I'm against dubs, but it's not even that. I don't have this irrational fear towards English dubs of anime like it seems like most of the internet does. I just, mm. I, um, I'm, I'm forgetting the word, but like, I just prefer watching things, like as far as anime goes, I just prefer watching things in their original form. Like, that's just the kind of person I am. So dubs are not the thing I usually seek out first. I mean, I, I get this because like, part part of me getting really into uh, uh, manga in Japanese now is that I've become really fascinated with reading it that way because it if it's out in both languages, you you there's not a purity to it. No matter what really stupid fan translators say, there there isn't. There's no power to literalism. But it's interesting to see how other people have gone through the process of changing it. So I'm I'm a fan of both subs and dubs in that sort of sense as well, because I can go and say, oh, this is how it sounds and this is how they've made it sounded in this language even though my ability to understand that is absolute dog shit. But, like, I am Switzerland in the subs v. dubs war. <laughs> That's a very good way of putting it. Um, I guess, um, uh, Sid, how, how was your experience with uh, with Two Heroes? I'll have to walk us back a little bit to just go off what we were saying about All Might Rising and how it turned out to be a lot more substantial as a tie-in than we expected to be because before I went to see the movie uh, in the theater, I went to the gym to exercise and while I was there, I decided, you know, I will watch the anime episode that's supposed to tie into this movie and uh, see what all that's about. And I watched that, and that is like a filler episode that has like nothing to do with the movie outside of the beginning and end, and it really barely ties in to the actual movie. Like, the beginning of the episode's like, oh, let's watch a news report talking about the iExpo, and All Might's gonna reflect on, oh, yeah, David, I knew that guy, how cool he was, and oh, here's some footage from the movie, (laughs) a little sneak of the trailer into this episode and you'll just watch this uh, p- clip from a trailer and then at the end of the episode it's like oh all my gets the email from melissa and then he asks deku to go on the plane with him and that's it that's all that has to do with the movie and the rest of it is just this mur- murder mystery kind of thing that has i mean i think the the final twist of it is funny enough but it was also really not that 
So so wait so so does it take place before or after the movie? Because I thought it took place. It after. takes place before the movie. Oh, okay. Mm. It's like literally what happens right before Deku and All Might get on the plane, which raises a lot more questions because apparently, like All Might asked Deku to go travel with him on the night of, like the like the very evening after they do this whole classroom training thing. So how did the other characters like get to I Island? Did they also just leave that night to get to I Island? I they, don't they understand. They did not think it through at all. Like, <laughs> no, they didn't. I don't understand why they came up with this filler story when they had like this great wealth material to draw. They could have just adapted this all might rising chapter and that would have been great. Why didn't they just do that? Yeah. Like, um, I, I feel like it's a very different experience based on whether you're also a, a reader of the comic or a, a, a viewer of the cartoon. Because um, me and, I'm, I'm sorry, I've been done this, and my wife, Raven, um, <laughs> like, we, we fell on completely different directions on that filler episode. Like, I hated it. It is the one episode of My Hero Academia I will never want to watch again. She thought it was pretty good. And I think a lot of that comes down to being familiar with the actual sort of the natural tone of My Hero Academia and the sort of cohesiveness of it. Because the anime's got wiggle room, you know? It, it it expands stuff, it does little bits and changes, it changes the pacing and the tone. But, like, when you're familiar with how, like, a proper My Hero Academia story feels, that just, that felt like filler. That felt like such a waste of my time. <laughs> which is a terrible thing to say about a cartoon I chose to watch and could have just walked away from at any point. And it's weird that Deku is the one that's coming up with this strange, like, love story conclusion from this whole situation. Like, Oh, and that's such an arse, Paul! Yeah. It's... Uh, again, I'm, I'm sorry for the fact I'm probably swearing quite a lot this episode, but it was fucking awful! <laughs> it, it, it felt like it was laying out a mystery, and rather than give us a proper answer, it just turned around and said, nah, let's just go and make some wild jumps in the sort of theory here and see what happens. And it it wasn't interesting, it wasn't clever, it wasn't fun. They, yeah, like, Deku's conclusions didn't really naturally come from, like, all the information. Like, he made so many assumptions. It's not good detective work. Detective Conan, this ain't. <laughs> the only thing I really liked in it was Bakugo, and that still felt like a massive step back from where the character was in the, like, actual episodes of the series coming out at the same time. Yeah, I mean, even during the time when this is supposed to take place, which is, like, before any of the events of Season 3, like, before they go to train in the, the forest and Bakugo gets kidnapped and stuff, like, even then, Bakugo felt like he was a little too exaggerated out of character. It's also really annoying that this they interrupted the sh show for this filler episode that was ultimately pointless. And they interrupted it at such an important point. <laughs> It was like the worst moment. Like we, um, we didn't know that this filler episode was coming, and it was, it was such a momentum killer for me. I was just like, no, why is it doing this now? I was, I was really invested. Well, so, so here's an important question: as someone who uh, really doesn't watch the anime on his own as it comes out, but mostly watches it through a friend who doesn't read the manga, or she's she's read a bit of it, but she doesn't really keep up with it. She mostly keeps up with it through the anime. So, we haven't gotten to this episode yet. Could could I skip this episode and not miss anything important whatsoever? Yeah, it's a filler episode. Nothing happens in so, it. So like you don't... does does it does it do 
I want to make sure it doesn't do the same shit that like One Piece did back in um with the with the Ah Piece arc where it's like we defeated this filler villain. No, but- it's literally a flashback to stuff that happened before season three even starts. It's an it, it takes place temporally disconnected from the arc. It is not a part of the arc. Makes no references to it. No tie-ins. No canon material at all. You don't it, have to watch it, it. Okay, it's mostly a terrible training session that doesn't entirely make sense as to why it's being run, doesn't necessarily teach the characters anything valuable, despite the fact it structures it like it's a really important thing the characters need to learn. They don't execute on that knowledge properly at all because it involves this this stupid goddamn ending. <laughs> it's just... like I, You know me, Colton. You know I'm not a person who's massively negative about anything, but I really <laughs> hate this episode. <laughs> It's fu- it's funny to see you find a thing that you actually hate. It's pretty amusing to me. I I didn't hate the episode. I just thought it was like a real waste of time, and I thought it was strange that they did this instead of just adapting the All Might Rising. Because even if they interrupted the show to adapt All Might Rising, I think people would have liked that. Like you could you could make a better excuse for that than like to have like this weird filler episode that's so blatantly a promotion for the movie that there's op- like it's bookended by like All Might and Deku talking about wait weren't we supposed to be doing this and All Might's like no 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 we're gonna do this now and then at the end there's like oh well now you can see where the story goes from here in the My Hero Academia two years movie in theater soon literally I'm paraphrasing what they said literally. <laughs> That's what they said. They said, oh, nice plug. <laughs> the lampshading of it absolutely made it worse as well. Like, yeah. if, if, if they hadn't have done that whole sort of knowing wink and a nudge of like, hey, turns out this was just a way to make you watch our movie. Like, I wouldn't have minded it so much. But it was so blatant and like sort of pranky going, you know, you want to watch the film that I just, oh, it made me... I, I actually forgot this episode existed till you brought it up, Sid, because I had erased it from my memory. <laughs> it's such a bad promotion. Like, a lot of the Bleach tie-in episodes to the movies were better than this one. <clears throat> the Naruto ones were better than this one. Like, it was just really lazy. Well, let's uh, let's let's actually talk about the movie, because I, I kind of want to know what you... Uh, yeah, yeah, so back to my story. So, I finished exercising at the gym after watching this episode, and then I headed to the theater to AMC Rosedale 16, which is a theater I don't go to often, and it wasn't that far, but I was, like, really stressed out if I would get there, and if, like, my phone would hold out, because I foolishly did not bring my charger with me in the car, and, like, after exercising, my phone was, like at 30%, but using Google Maps to find my way to the theater was, like, depleting my battery fast. So I was like, oh, crap. Will will I make it in time so I can get to this theater and I won't be lost? But luckily, I did manage to make it with 10% of battery spare, which is good, because I also need to use my phone, of course, to show my ticket, because I bought this ticket using my A-list membership. Which, you mean, I didn't have to pay for the ticket because of A-list. So that was nice. Uh, I just had to show the, the code, and I got in, and I ordered my usual Bavarian legend. And I was waiting for V-Lord, because V-Lord was supposed to see the movie with me. And then I'm it was sorry, like two your, minutes... Your what? usual what? Bavarian legend. It's a big two-pound pretzel uh, that they serve at AMC. Oh, man, a pretzel at the cinema. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they... They oh, don't. Whoa. Is that <laughs> what oh. you guys do? You don't have pretzels in your cinemas, Maxie? 
Well, we, we have like really shitty popcorn and like the, the cinema near me has got to step up because it will have like nachos with gross cheese and and uh, fruit cider. But that's wow, it? pretzels. No gourmet pretzels? <laughs> what a world! How backwater! Oh, I cannot imagine. No. Pretzels just aren't really a thing here, but I, I really love like just I, I'm I'm big into my rock salt pretzels. I like salt and I love carbs, and that's why I'm 18 stone. Um <laughs> oh, but, like, there is nothing oh. like how the way of fresh soft pretzel melts in your mouth. Oh the, the how I think, soft I think the you've bread just is. sold me on moving to America. <laughs> <laughs> well don't move just for twenty dollar pretzels. But yeah, so I was waiting for Waylord, and I was like, "Well, uh, it's two minutes to the movie. I should call Vlord and see where he is." And so I called Vlord, and then Vlord told me, "Oh, I thought the movie was at four thirty. The movie was at four, but he thought it was at four thirty. And it's like, well, uh, it'll take me half an hour to get there." And I was like, "Well, do you do you still want to see it?" Then he was like, uh, I guess I'll just see it next week. Uh, he asked if there were going to be showtimes this week, and I said, yeah, there'll be a 7 p.m. showtime on Tuesday, which would be subbed, but, you know, and so we could see it together then. And so I was like, uh, okay, well, uh, I guess I won't go to the movie then. But since I was already there, I was, like, going to still see the movie. So it's unfortunate I didn't get to see it with V-Lord. But then we made plans to see it on Tuesday. So th- I thought that was okay. But then V-Lord, during the movie, texted me and said, Oh, you know what? I'm just going to go to the 7 p.m. showing today. We won't see it together. Too bad. I was like, well, okay. <laughs> That's fine. It doesn't matter, I guess. But uh, I actually don't know if V-Lord did see the movie because he didn't text me his thoughts or tweet about them. I wonder. I should ask him. Let's ask him. Are you going to ask him right now? Yeah, well, let's, then, let's see. Then this is where my assumption was going to be that somehow he's like in the same room as you, and you were just going to lean over, like the <laughs> the usual sort of shit that happens whenever we mention V-Lord. Hey, V-Lord, V-Lord, did, did you see the My Hero Academia movie yesterday? Tell us your thoughts on it. Call us back. Uh, we'll put you on the show. <laughs> okay, well, I'll just call us back. He's probably sleeping in. I, I bet he doesn't get up early on weekends. He barely sleeps on the weekdays. He's like sleeping less than three hours. Jesus, these all, days. All you lazy young people. Yeah, this is this is the least sleep I've had as a human being. I only had four hours last night, and that's because for some reason I felt like I had to finish the main story in a, a Pokemon Alpha Sapphire and Nuzlocke. And let me tell you, I feel like I've died. You you can't sleep <laughs> that little. You uh, look. Yeah, I I think it's crazy. I mean, I've definitely done it before. I've gone days without sleeping before back in college. But like now, recently, I've been feeling so tired recently that I cannot go without like six hours at minimum. I don't know why. Oh yeah, me I, me too. I have to have like a minimum of six hours to be honest to function, which again, more than anything, makes me wonder how bombers are alive. Oh my god! Like, yeah, I can't I, even imagine. I I I can't deal. I I used to not sleep for days. Like I would go for days without sleeping, and I'd sleep fifteen hours. I, I can't be young anymore. I, I keep saying this like I'm not young. I'm like a year and a half away from thirty. I'm still definitely young, but like, oh the. The things that like teenagers and like young younger people than me are capable of, it scares me. I can't do that. I, I'm going to sleep right now. I'm asleep. This is 
I'm talking in my sleep. <laughs> I, I believe you. Yeah, I'm envious. I feel envious sometimes of people who can go so long without sleeping and still feel chipper. Like, I don't know how V-Lore does it. Even though, I mean, I did... Just this year, I've gone days without sleeping to finish a project. So it's not like I'm incapable of doing it. But like, you know, psychologically, mentally, I do not want to do it if I don't absolutely have to and feel the stress to. But yeah, yeah. like as, as general advice to your listenership, sleep. <laughs> yeah, sleep, because otherwise, if you want to do things during the day and enjoy them, you'll you'll sleep during them. Like, uh, Wee Lord and I went to see uh, Transformers this week, and he slept during the movie. Transformers? Yeah, the, the original Transformers animated oh, movie. They were huh. doing, like, a special showing of it. At the cinema? Yeah, and they gave out free posters. It was, it was a nice time. Sid, you're trying to make me cry. They even had an interview with the guy who created the songs for the movie. You know, the oh. we got the touch, we got yeah, the Stan power. Bush. Yeah, the- you, you don't need, you don't need to describe Stan Bush to me. <laughs> I'm I'm the Transformers boy. I love the Transformers. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! I I never mind the pretzels. This is my level of envy here. You. Oh. <laughs> And literally, as we're sitting here, the phone I'm using next to me to look up information when I'm forgetting it is literally sitting on top of two Transformers from la- uh, last year's Titans Return line. It's like, I'm... Oh, you son of a gun. Sorry, My Hero Academia. Is it a good movie? Oh, yeah. Anyway, uh, so yeah, I saw the movie alone. And uh, it, so I'm going to ask you this too, Colton, but how, how packed was your theater? Because my theater was packed. It was completely full. By the time I walked into the theater, like all the seats were taken except for seats in the front row. So I sat in the front row, which wasn't too bad because, you know, leg room and it was at least far enough away from the screen that I, you know, I wasn't straining my eyes too much. But yeah, so I sat right center in the front row in a full theater of really Really passionate MHA fans. Now, how full was your theater? I don't think my theater was like packed, but I w- I'm going to say a good like 70 to 80 percent of the seats were filled. Like there, there were a lot of people there because um, the, the way my theater is set up, I, I saw I saw My Hero Academia at um, at uh, what's called the uh, the Tivoli Landmark Theater, which uh, is basically like an art house theater kind of thing. Um, mm. that's, that's where I usually go to see, like, a lot of these anime movies and whatnot. Um, if, if I don't go to, like, my local Marcus Werenberg Theater or whatever. I don't know if that's a thing outside of Missouri. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, the way it's set up, you have your front row seats, and then you have seats, like, on the sides of the room. And, um, not a lot of the side seats were full. It was mostly the front row that was full, so, like... My friend and I sat on like the what was it the right side of the theater because it was a little emptier, so we just we just prefer we just prefer to have our own space and not feel claustrophobic. Um, but no, yeah, it was like there were a lot of people there, even though it wasn't packed. Like, um, like the the manager of the Tivoli came out beforehand and uh, you know talked about how surprised he was that uh, like how successful like their run of the movie had been. Like he wasn't expecting this many people to show up. Uh, for for my hair academia so it was a pleasant surprise to him it seems um and i I was kind of surprised too like we were i think i mentioned earlier on in the show how like no we because we were talking about how much the movie has made like over the past week or so at the time of this recording and like um i said it before and i'll say it again like i really hope at some point with these funimation movie releases or whatnot especially with stuff like this and like 
you know, the Dragon Ball movies that I really hope they can shoot for wider releases at some point because I think they would do well. Yeah, this was in about 500 theaters. So it was pretty comparable to some other big releases they've done recently. Like Fairy Tale was also in about 500 theaters. Your Name was in about 500 theaters. But already My Hero is like doing extremely well in the box office. Like compared to like Funimation's other films. I, I live in a much smaller country, so when you're describing like 500 theaters as small, I'm just like, how how much is big? Like, because obviously, like America's, a, a, it's a massive country, so I'm assuming there's a, you know, a lot more theaters. But like, wow, 500, really? That's that's a lot of that's a lot of confidence in a brand. And like, I mean, it's justified because My Hero Academia is. It's not like Death Note Tokyo Ghoul big as far as comics go, but the anime is certainly like huge. But I mean, the, the manga's also been well, doing both well too. The manga too. and the anime are big. Like, I've been listening mm. to uh, one panel later, you know, the, the podcast hosted by two librarians, Angela and Kelly, and like they keep talking about like how hugely successful My Hero Academia is with kids. Like, it's outselling DC and Marvel books. Like, and we see, and we cover the book scan list every you know, month or so, and My Hero Academia dominates the list. It is, like, outselling pretty much anything else. Pretty much, yeah. It's a big deal. It is one of the most popular comics on the scene right now. It's, like, it. Pe- people often use it as a way of criticizing uh, the Marvel and DC's practices with superhero comics. They, they are apples and oranges, but it can't be said enough that Viz, with Honestly, very minimal promotion have managed to go and like make the most successful superhero comic in the country. Pretty much, yeah. I think it just speaks to the strength of the series. Like it's so accessible and so good, and it's really appealing to a lot of people. Like, I mean, it's not as good as Black Clover, but it's got mass appeal. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how successful Black Clover is relative to it. I mean, you don't see it on books. I, I think but... I think Black Clover does okay enough that it's not got any sort of possibilities of this having to drop it but i don't think i've i don't think i've ever seen a book chart well the anime is really popular uh it it does super well for crunchyroll as far as i've heard um but the the comic can't even compare my hero academia genuinely is like it's one of those rare magical things it is it like i said i don't think it's got quite the longevity that definitely tokyo Ghoul have had a series but like it's definitely in that same sort of territory that those and naruto have occupied as being like the thing that dominates for what people think of when they think of manga or anime definitely i mean both the manga and anime are so successful i think definitely based on like the audiences that i've seen and just the scope of how many people are passionate about it like i do think that my hero academia is occupying the place in culture as like the next naruto the next like big massive like household name in the anime manga sphere among people and now it has a movie and a, and a movie that's done well and that you've both seen which is which is really rad like i mean uh anime tie-in films to series didn't used to really feel like a very huge deal despite the fact that dragon ball has like a hundred of them <laughs> uh <laughs> But it, it definitely feels like there's been a bit of a tide change around, like you said, fairy tale earlier. Like I know people who were like were beside themselves with joy that that had like the movie coming out, uh, and, and my Hero academia like uh, that and the upcoming Dragon Ball Super Broly film. Yeah, like th- those have been the sorts of things that have 
that people who I didn't even know thought about anime at all have been besides themselves with the fact these are things coming out. Like, we're, we're living in really interesting times for anime films. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Or or even A Silent Voice, which is the best one. Yeah, it is pretty good. I agree with that. I mean, I knew this movie was going to be extremely popular after Anime Expo and only a third of the audience. If even more than that, only very little of the audience actually got in to see that movie because the line there were so many people interested in it. I think it was like 10,000 people that were interested in seeing that and they only had room for like 3,000. So well, as yeah. far as I heard, like a lot of people were basically coming to Anime Expo for that. Like basically. that's what people were yeah, it, I mean, it was like with uh, with Horikoshi coming to uh, San Diego Comic Con. Yeah, was that I the mean, one? Yeah, that was also like a massive like storm of traffic of people who were interested in Horikoshi's panel, and they put him in a room that was way too small because he underestimated how much people, how many people would be interested, and like it was insane. Nobody realized, like, I think even, like, we'd, we'd talked about it in passing, I, I don't feel on a podcast, but just as actual people online, like, about the fact that that had been announced and was coming up, and I, I don't think any of us would have predicted it would have been, like, the biggest thing about, like, one of the biggest US conventions for comics, like. They had to close down the Viz boot because, like, after the panel, people were, like, storm stampeding it to get the tickets to the, to the Horikoshi signing event. And so they had to close it down because it became a public safety hazard. There were just too many people surrounding the Viz boot. It was insane. Like at New York Comic Con, not only did was there so much interest in the MHA movie that, you know, I didn't get to see it and Bomber didn't get to see it, which I still feel really bad about because I know that was like what Bomber was most interested in during Anime Expo. But alas, I hope he gets to see it in theaters uh, or like soon but anyway yeah but like even besides the fact that we couldn't get into the movie like when i never could get even the merch for the mha stuff at the viz boot because those were always selling out really quick people like surrounded the viz boot and just clogged up the line from the very beginning of when the dealer's hall opened just for that mha stuff like it uh it and pokemon like shared the the tote bags like yeah, and let me just tell you, Pokemon did not sell out. Pokemon stuff was still there, but MHA was gone. Gone before noon. Like, Pokemon's still big. Like, those tote bags weren't, like, undemanded. But people really, really wanted that My Hero Academia stuff. That was like... Yeah. That, again, if, if I'm hearing the news from a continent away, that's a big deal. <laughs> it is. So, guys, I feel like what I'm supposed to get out of this is... My Hero Academia, you know, it's it at least has a middling success. I would say, you know, it's it's a uh, it's 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 doing okay. Uh, <laughs> to, to put uh, it lightly, oh, to, <laughs> I guess people like it and it makes money. I guess, <laughs> yeah. I mean, clearly far more than anyone anticipated. Uh, but yeah, it, it has to be said. It has to be asked: Is the movie good? Yeah, so we should really get into that. I will guess we'll circle back into the the audience and gross stuff. But I guess we should just finally address the question, is the movie actually good? So let's see. How, who do we want to lead on this? Do you want to lead on this, Colton, or should I? Uh, my, my thoughts might be a little more succinct, so I will 
Uh, no, no, no offense to you, Sid. Um, <laughs> but uh, um, I'll... Fucking sick burns on the Manga Mavericks podcast. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, that's what we should be known for. <laughs> oh, um, but no, so I, I can lead in with the simple, I thought it was good, um, but I guess... Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't want to say it was overhyped because, like, I had heard the movie was good and I was excited to see it, and I do not regret seeing it. Um, I guess I don't know what I was expecting though, because, like, like I th- I thought the story overall was like just okay. Like, uh, there was like one really surprising moment that I wasn't expecting. That I'm not sure if I really want to give away for anyone who hasn't like who's listening and hasn't seen the movie. Uh, let's just say a certain uh, big-time villain from the series is sort of involved, but not really. But it was still a surprising I enough... I called it. <laughs> like, it was still surprising enough that I wasn't totally expecting it. But outside of that, like, I just thought it was fun. It was just... It was fun, but it wasn't anything, like, unexpected. Like, I wasn't too super surprised by the movie, I guess, um, I guess is what I'm trying to say, but I still had a lot of fun watching it. Yeah, I definitely built up a lot of expectations for Luffy because I was so denied at Anime Expo. And for the last two months, I have been yearning for the day where I could actually get to see the movie. So I did go in with high expectations. And while I don't think that this is the best uh, movie-related adaptation from a anime manga series that i've seen i do think that it was a really well made and really fun movie that did have a lot of value in it that was substantive and emotional like i really enjoyed the connection between all might and his friend david i liked that scene in the beginning where we're showing him and david fight crime we're seeing glimpse in all might past and see yeah he was always this guy who would risk himself to save the day he doesn't care about being late for class you know saving people is way more important he's always been a man of high character and i really enjoyed that david you know i was i was wondering throughout the movie was this going to be another story of oh uh old friend has turned bad he's just lost his way i thought i thought it was gonna i was worried it was gonna go that route because that's been done a lot before but i really liked that david's motivations in the movie were motivated by his love for all might and something that is reflected in the series itself as a worry i mean you can really see david as kind of like a parallel of sir night eye and his concern for all might and what all might represents for the world as a symbol of peace and justice and i thought that was really fascinating i think it was really really cathartic and emotional that scene at the end where david is imagining midoriya as a young all might and we're seeing of this passing of the torch moment in which david recognizes no the future is with these kids all might's time can be over because we can trust the next generation to carry on his legacy and i thought that was such a great moment that really speaks to like what my hero academia has been exploring for so long so i think they really captured the heart and the themes of the series really well in those succinct moments and the movie is providing something that we can't see in the series itself anymore and that's all deku and all my teaming up to beat a villain together like that final fight montage where both Deku and All Might are using One for All to fight the villain, and they beat the villain with a simultaneous dual punch together. That's something we can't have in the manga anymore because All Might doesn't have powers anymore. But 
this movie gives us something we didn't get from the series in a really satisfying way that that is true felt so satisfying and i really love that they took the advantage of the movie to do something that felt big and truly cinematic in scope like that and i didn't feel like all of the movie lived up to that level i felt like a lot of the early first two thirds of the movie felt like you know what you could expect from maybe a filler arc from a tv anime you know that or like just a normal anime movie adaptation kind of tier level of scope and scale the villain themselves are not interesting they're just bad guys and then there's like a connection to all for one but it's like very tenuous by doing that though at the very least you're having this villain be symbolic of all for one's influence and like his the reach of his villainy so it does add like more emotional catharsis to see you know all might fight back against him and all might and deku team up together to defeat him and put an end to his machination so there is meaning and value there so i'm glad they did that because if it was just this villain and he had no connection to all for one there would be so much less thematic weight and power behind that final fight. So I'm glad that they did do that. Yeah, there there wouldn't be as there wouldn't be as much catharsis in in actually taking him down. Which let it be said that yeah, while the connection to uh to all for one is it, like you said very tenuous. It I mean the, the like the mere mention of all for one was enough to like send shivers down my spine. Like that he had anything to do with basically with, with the climax of the movie was enough for me to get excited. I, I I mean I don't know I don't know how Horikoshi does it, but he's he's such an intimidating presence that even the mere mention of him is enough to just is to, is enough to like stress me out. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, like, how important and how insidious a villain he is. Like, he is, like, the shadow that is looming over the story of My Hero Academia. So, like, it is important. Like, he is the threat. And he is the enemy of All Might. I I also want to say that, um, and my friend hates it when I do this when we, like, watch stuff together that, like, during certain moments, I'll kind of, like, glance over unsubtly and kind of see, because I, I want to gauge her reactions to some stuff. And, like, it was during the uh, all-for-one reveal and uh, passing of the torch moment from transitioning to young, from All Might to Midoriya through David's perspective that I I could see her, like eyes wide open hands over mouth like she was legit surprised and that felt so <laughs> gratifying cuz especially during the latter where like man that was such a like cathartic moment like the whole theater was quiet not a you could hear a pin drop like everybody in my theater was just taking that in it was it was a cathartic moment all around and it was just it was great it was a great feeling yeah I mean, definitely there were people gasping in the audience when that reveal happened. But I, I also want to go back to what you were saying that, yeah, I think that's part of the reason I I have a slightly reserved opinions of the movie is that, like, it really felt like the beginning and the end of the movie were, like, the best parts and everything in the middle was, like, it was fun. It was okay. Like, I like seeing all of the UA characters just kind of interacting with each other and just doing whatever. But it, it really felt like something that, would it be out of place like in the anime i feel like that's my one issue with some of these anime tie-in movies is that like it it feels like something that like you could that like they could have just easily done in in the anime like 
as much as uh, like for example as much as i love uh gintama the final chapter be forever yorozuya and as much as i love that movie like it felt like just a longer episode of the show yeah i mean again i could definitely just have seen this work as well as a filler arc in the show itself because I, until the end i didn't feel like the scale was such that it necessitated like a movie level treatment and throughout the movie i felt like it didn't look or animate better than the show itself is already so high quality and the movie didn't literally look much better than that i mean they for the flashbacks in the movie they literally just reused footage from the show but you can't really tell the difference because the show is already high quality it's not really until that like final battle where it does feel like oh things are picking up here this is looking really really good but even then i don't think anything in the movie surpasses what they did with the all might all for one fight or even just like the higher points of sakuga and the show in general essentially like and I I don't think that's so much a criticism of the movie so much it is like praise for the show that like uh that the 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 animation for the movie is I think that really says something about the animation overall for the actual for the actual like TV anime that like there's no difference in quality between the both of them that they're both just as good looking as each other. I say that for the story as well. Like the quality of the My Hero Academia series is already so high that the movie does not really stand above them in terms of like, oh, this is even grander scale now. But it's just like, oh, this is more My Hero Academia. But I love My Hero Academia. I like seeing it in the movie theater with other people who love My Hero Academia. Yeah. And that's what struck me about it. Mm -hmm. But to to talk about how other characters are used in the film... I think they chose smartly in which characters to use and focus on for the plot, which is basically like this infiltration rescue kind of scenario where they have to go up all the floors of this building to get to the top floor so that Melissa, uh, the daughter of David, uh, can, you know, deactivate the alarm system that the criminals have used to trap everyone. And trap all might specifically, so that's what they got to do, and they they found good excuses for all the characters to have a have a use. So I think that was pretty smart, uh, and they you know they tried to incorporate all the popular characters. I mean, I think it was telling that they had Bakugo and Todoroki and Kirishima get out of the way very early on and separate from the group just to engage in fights because they're abilities weren't such that they could be used for more sneaky maneuvering like jiro being using her earphone jacks to spy on people mineta just being like small enough that he can fit through like a air gutter and like do stuff that way and use like his uh sticky balls to scale a building and stuff and troll wrote down the people so you know i i could totally see oh we need these popular characters in this film but yeah, for the story we're doing, I mean, all they can really do is fight. So let's just uh, give them a fight. And I think I think I'm fine with that personally. Like the the characters that they chose to use in the movie, I think were used very well. Yeah, for the most part. I actually think Kaminari didn't really have much of a role when it actually came to the thing because he uses his, his like electricity attack on the robots, but it doesn't even work, and then he's completely useless after that. So I feel like Kaminari was just there because he and Mineta are a comedy duo, basically. So that's basically what he was there just to play off Mineta. I'm kind of surprised they didn't use um, Toru 
because I feel like her invisibility yeah, powers could have been used. I think the problem is for, Toru yeah. was just so useful. Like if they had used her, like the plot of the movie would have just been solved really quickly because she could have just walked up there invisible and infiltrated by herself even. Yeah. And like people behind me after the movie were kind of like, you know, if they had just stepped outside and used Uraraka and Meta's powers together, they could have just gotten to the top a whole lot sooner without having <laughs> to like walk up all the stairs and stuff. Yeah, that, that that makes sense. But like I said, the the characters that they did use for the most part, I think they use very well. It was a little disappointing to see the other characters that were like featured maybe two times in, in in the movie altogether were just kind of like there just doing whatever yeah they were just trapped in the room wondering what's going on and they were just uh, i don't know i guess they were just having their fun times while the rest of their friends were uh trying to save the day so i was kind of disappointed i don't it's still weird to me that the entire class went there to this island and none of them knew i, I guess some of them knew that their friends were also going to be on the island, but like it's just really convenient that like all of them were there for various different reasons like some of them had connections some of them took jobs there it, it's really funny to me that they found so many excuses to get all the characters there it definitely seems odd to hear this from me outside but i gotta say like I, I always feel reassured hearing you describe how they've actually been like put off to the side to a certain point to just kind of be characters to wonder what's going on or whatever because like it could have been very easy for this film to be too many cooks and as much as that's kind of a negative thing to go like they're here but why are they here it's nice that they at least knew not to try and do everything with everyone yeah it's clear that the characters that they're using have a purpose or are just so popular you know it's obvious they would not exclude them like you don't really need Todoroki in this movie but he's popular but so you why not? yeah I was gonna say you need him because he's popular yeah I mean Bakugo also is just there to fight but at the same time, you're still having him, like, encourage All Might and Deku on towards the end. So, and that feels meaningful because of his connection to them. So, there is more justification for him to be there, you know, as a, to play off the characters. And you have to have Kirishima there because Kirishima is basically Bakugo's handler at this point, which I love. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love every time in the movie how, like, when Bakugo goes off, like, Kirishima, like, has to go in just to try to calm things down. Like, I I never used to take notice to their friendship, but, like, the more I go back and rewatch uh, certain portions of My Hero Academia, the more I go back and revisit certain parts of the series, like, their relationship totally makes sense to me, and I really love their dynamic, and I can see why so many people ship them. Uh, I'm 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 kind of a believer, honestly. I I can kind of get into it. <laughs> yeah, I I think that's a good ship. Like it makes more sense to me than, and I I don't even know if I want to say this because I'm afraid I'm gonna piss a lot of people off when I say this. But personally, to me, Bakugo and Kirishima make more sense to me as a ship than Uraraka and Bakugo. To me, that one I don't really yeah. fully understand. <laughs> Uraraka has a crush on Deku, and Deku is mutually interested in her, so... Yeah. Like, Bakugo is not interested in Uraraka, and uh, vice versa, so... Mm -hmm. I mean, Bakugo and Kirishima is canon, so I'm not sure why you're having to talk about it in terms of ship. That's just real. Like, I, I don't want to sound like I'm disparaging anybody <laughs> from, like, you know, being into that ship, because, you know, like, I know people who really like it, and I respect that, but... 
I my thing is I I just I don't really understand where that comes from other than maybe people just like drawing them together. I don't know. But speaking of uh, Uraraka, I was really frustrated by how she was presented in this movie. Because when we're first introduced to her, it's a joke about her being jealous that Deku is hanging out with Melissa. That's how we're introduced to her in the movie. And then we have so many of those jokes just uh, peppered into the film. And then she's constantly getting flustered over Deku when he's complimenting her. And to be fair, vice versa... But I feel like that they're reducing Uraraka's character down to just that. And also, Uraraka doesn't fight in the film. Like, she yeah. helps the cause, you know, but, you know, Yao Yorozu and Jiro fight. But she is, like, the only character in that main group who doesn't fight at all. And I think that's just so frustrating because Uraraka, I feel, is being so underserved as a character in the manga for so long now. And I think the film also made some really poor choices with her that like short sold her character yeah that that's kind of been my that's kind of been something i've been slowly realizing as far as like the main series goes is that like because uh my friend and i just got up to the um to the hero license exam arc in the anime just recently and we've been treated to the whole like thing where you know uh Hatsune falls on Deku and oh no boobs and oh no Uraraka is kind of jealous a little bit but but at the very least that like that leads to like one of my favorite moments with her where like she's in the middle of taking the exam she's in the middle of her uh her thing and like you know she has to take a moment to like step back and realize like hey I can't be thinking about Deku right now I gotta focus on my shit which I really I really respect that about her. That really just made me like her character more. But then Horikoshi has not followed up on that in a meaningful way. We don't even get to see her do anything during the overhaul arc. We completely skip over her fight. And it's like, ugh. And and see, that's the thing, too. Like, sometimes in the show, at least, I don't know if it's as prevalent in the manga, but, like, she, she... brings up like all the martial arts that she learned during her time as like a like an intern or whatever and like we don't we don't get to see her use any of that at all so far and that kind of really that really annoys me a little bit because i want to see uraraka fight uh i mean spoilers for for the manga but no they never ever really execute properly on her potential outside of like the sports festival yeah Uh, at least at least as a combatant and hero go and it's very disappointing because Horikoshi fits in several times through the comic that like, hey, Uraraka's really capable and important and great and she'll hopefully go on to great things. And that. We don't ever but see it. He he says it. He only ever says it. It's like the Sakura and Orihime problem. Like, oh, you built up that these characters are going to, you know, get stronger and they're going to have a more active role. But then you like reduce them to the sidelines or like a non-combative role. And the thing is, right, is... It's running in the same magazine as The Promised Neverland, and people might not always agree with me here, but Black Clover, which both are incredibly good at highlighting female characters and showing them be capable and grow on the page. And it's and and those two have really highlighted how a lot of jump series fall flat when it comes to women, and, and My Hero Academia does better than most. But better than most for jump when it comes to women is still kind of bad there was a great piece by Miriam b on anime feminist a few months ago t- discussing like how shonen series are kind of really sh- 
giving their female characters not a fair shake. They're not giving them enough focus as they really should be. And that's frustrating for a lot of reasons because shoujo titles uh, focus equally on their male and female characters usually. But with shonen and especially shonen jump titles, it always feels like the female characters are not emphasized as much as their male characters. And that's really a shame because there should be more stories aimed towards boys that emphasize female characters and get and like have prominent and really well-written female characters for uh everyone to relate to and follow their stories absolutely and i mean and uh uh, i'm not going to go into it too much but that's definitely at least like part of the reason why i'm so massively into uh, weekly shonen sunday because it's not necessarily doing great but it's at least doing better than this it 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 shows more it does more it it's the magazine that prides itself on having a lot of heroines at the forefront of their series but i i feel like i'm stepping a bit too far away from my academia and that here but it's that sounds really frustrating just the, the movie just it it could have with a spotlight like that it could have done a lot more with uraka in particular as far as like the two original characters where I shared my thoughts on David before and I thought like I really enjoyed his connection to All Might. I think it was really valuable to like kind of get what I assume is like a canon thing for the story that David was the guy who creates All Might's costumes and he was his sidekick back in the day and they have like this really deep connection. And I think that his character was really interesting and I liked his what was motivating him throughout the movies and that like he was so concerned for All Might because he he truly believed in All Might as this symbol of justice that he was willing to become a criminal himself if it meant to helping All Might continue to be that symbol. But and then Melissa, I feel, was not particularly interesting. Like, they try to draw a connection between her and Deku by the fact that she's also quirkless, but she's using her abilities to help heroes in whatever way she can. But I don't... I, I just didn't think her personality was very interesting. She really felt like a jump heroine to me, like one of these jump anime film characters. She felt like a more interesting concept than she did a character, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I see what they were going for. I think, like, at the end, you know, where All Might and David are looking up at their protégés and, like, saying, you know, they are the future. I can see that now. It's You know, that that was really nice. But, like, it was more like what Melissa represented than her himself that was interesting, which is really a shame. I think they could have done more with her character other than, like, you know, having her just be there for a symbolic purpose. Though, points to her for giving Deku a thing that'll keep him from, you know, constantly injuring himself so he can actually do cool things in the movie. Yeah, uh, a very useful advice that is only going to be in this movie and never in the manga, apparently. So, that's, <laughs> that's a shame. Very convenient that that they, he had this movie-only device to allow him to use the Detroit Smash more than two times. <laughs> so more than the movie itself like the theater experience is always very interesting to me i always like to see how a crowd reacts to the film especially when it comes to anime movies and i was really really happy to see that i was in a full theater for an anime film because i think the last time 
Jeez, I can't remember the last time I was in a completely full theater, especially in a room that was actually quite big. I was surprised. It was actually quite big. It was not like one of those fancy updated theater rooms, which I usually go to, which have like the reclining seats and the soft, really comfortable chairs. But like it was still like a lot of chairs in the room. It was really big. And uh, it was a very passionate and active crowd who cheered and clapped whenever a new character came up on screen. Like uh, pretty much everyone got cheers and like squeals of delight from the audience. Uh, From Kirishima and Ida, Bakugo, all of them. All of them got like such a uproarious applause. You know, even when Uraraka was introduced with like the joke, there was like this, oh, and all these giggles, like <laughs> everyone was really eating it up. And of course, they continued from there because then Yaya Rozu and Jiro showed up and they're also saying, wow, Deki, you you're, look like you're having a good time. And uh, the laughter just kept going and the cheers kept going so this was a really big crowd pleasing film that kept the audience engaged and laughing and having a good time all throughout and being in a room with other people having a good time also helps make you have a good time like even Minetta jokes like people were laughing at the Minetta jokes everyone well a lot of people were enjoying them (laughs) so that those were less obnoxious as if I would have watched it on my own and I would have uh groaned at them being in a theater where people were actually responding to them made me like them a little more yeah Minetta's stuff actually like and this is really not saying much i promise but like um, i thought his stuff wasn't as terrible as it usually is but it's still just every time he was on screen like my friend and i were just kind of groan and be like oh he's still here (laughs) but yeah it was it was a little more uh, I mean, th- this has nothing to do with my crowd in particular, because I, I don't remember if I don't remember if my crowd really like laughed as much at those jokes as yours did. But like, um, I personally at least thought they weren't as obnoxious and annoying. But again, that's also a very low bar. I like the crowd's enthusiasm at my film. That's what I live for. That's what I like going to these films for. My, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying my crowd wasn't as enthusiastic because... See, that's disappointing to me. I want to be in a crowd that's super enthusiastic and annoying. See, that's why I'm so disappointed that I didn't get to into Anime Expo because I wanted to be alongside a passionate crowd. Like 3,000 people watching a film together, all cheering and hollering. That'd be now, super Now, see, I am, I am the complete opposite like a crowd of people of like you know maybe like a hundred I'm fine with but like 3,000 people like at that point like especially if the movie is like if you're watching it like dubbed like you know you run the risk of like uh, people getting too, too uproarious Xbox. and like completely drowning out the movie and I, I honestly hate that because like because well, I've, I've, se- I've seen like footage of like just for example like footage that people will take in like screenings of like say really big stuff like infinity war where like people just like laugh at every joke as hard as they can or, or like you know just get too excited and it kind of drowns out the movie a little bit like there, there's kind of a balance i kind of want personally i like an enthusiastic crowd but not to the point where i can't like just sit and watch the movie that's fair but I think my crowd was very enjoyable, and I don't think I think they enhanced my experience with the movie. I really and that's appreciated fair, yeah. it. I was I was happy because I think the last couple times I you know I was seeing movies that don't provoke kind of that like enthusiasm. Like I saw Machia 
the dub of Maki on Monday. And, you know, that's a very, you know, emotional and kind of like melancholy films. You don't get like cheers and claps. Like you get giggles at some of the jokes, but like you kind of, that's like a roller coaster of emotions kind of film. So you don't, so you don't like uh, laugh at it. And then I saw Digimon like last week. And there was only like six people in it. Because no one cares about Digimon Try, I guess. And uh, I don't think anyone... I, I guess some people are reacting to it. But I just remember me and Vilar like, laughing in disbelief at how poorly made the film was. There were actually a couple of guys sitting in front of us that... I don't know if they were, like, high or something. I thought I smelled something on them. But uh, hmm. they would... Uh, they Sometimes they would laugh at, like, some at, like the wrong times. Like, there's a moment where, like... Uh, Deku and All Might, like, meet up and see each other, like, in the midst of their final battle with the main villain of the movie. And, like, there's a moment where, like, All Might just gets, like, fucking sucker punched out of nowhere by a giant column of metal. And these guys just, like, started fucking laughing. And, I mean, maybe maybe it's because it came out of nowhere, but I was just, like... It almost took me out of the scene a little bit because, like, it actually kind of, like, spooked me and my friend. But, like, we just have these guys just, like, fucking chuckling. Like, it was just, just like, really weird moments like that. But thankfully, there weren't too many, like, there, there weren't too many moments like that. But they were kind of sprinkled in. It might just be the way you described it, but that sounded funny to me. It sounds <laughs> funny, but in the, like, it's not supposed to be funny. It's supposed to be, like, this dramatic thing. But, like, I guess it's the kind of thing that not everyone will take seriously. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, the, depending on your taste and perspective, you might not be, you might just find that funny. Uh, I, I definitely know, like, there's definitely times where a movie is supposed to be doing, like, this cool and dramatic thing, and I found it funny. Uh, Transformers, the movie, there were a lot of times there it was doing something serious that uh, me and V-Lord were laughing at. I mean, I'll I'll throw this out here, even the creators knew the stuff was goofy, like, it's... Yeah, I think it's self, that self-awareness is why I like it. But, like, oh. God, what, what a perfect piece of 80s camp the Transformers movie is. Oh. Yeah, it's it's delightful. I really loved it. But uh, yeah, so my hero academic and my crowd, like a lot of people were like gasping and like shock and oh my god when All Might was uh, getting hit. So people were into it. People were like emotionally invested in these characters and their well-being. Yeah, my, my crowd wasn't like as responsive but i could tell that like everybody was into it especially during like the final battle at the end of the movie there were people there was one person i know for sure who got up and yelled that was so good <laughs> and also this is the this is the best part is like in the front row like there was this there was this group of girls who were like clapping like whenever a new character were co coming on screen like just anytime but also at the end of the movie these girls, like they, when the when the ending credits start started playing and the song started, like these group of girls got out of their chairs and started dancing. They they actually started dancing. That's kind of cute. It, it was really funny. <laughs> I thought it was like, whoa, <laughs> these these people really like the movie. They're they're really having a good time. Maybe it's because like I was at an art house theater that maybe that's just not the kind of like atmosphere that's usually presented at that kind of theater i don't know but perhaps i mean i was seeing at a local amc that's like next to a mall so that's a different environment but i also wonder like what were the demographics of your audience like oh, what man. age ranges what kind of people it, it seemed like mostly like people older than 20 like 
I think there were like a few teenagers there, but like it was mostly like a like uh, a young adult kind of crowd. I would say the same. I think that I've, I it's hard for me to like recognize who's a teenager and who's like a young adult or whatever. But I felt the crowd was very young for the most part. But it definitely didn't seem like there were many families with kids there. I think there might have been like families with their teenagers there, but I don't think I saw very many little kids in the in that audience. I, I think I saw like a couple of like single parents with their teenagers, but you know, no like families with like small little kids or anything. Again, it was mostly it was mostly like I could tell like fans who were again older than twenty, twenty five, like it, it was mostly it was mostly a more mature crowd. I would say it would it, mine was a young crowd, but yeah, definitely still like not a whole lot of kids. Uh, but I, you know, it's been interesting to see how kids would have responded to this movie because, like, I remember I saw Tea Time go to the movies earlier in the summer, and like there were kids in that audience, and they really responded to that movie. It was really cute. Like they also got out of their chair and started dancing at the songs. <laughs> so. I guess that's something uh, for some people you don't grow out of. But yeah, I mean, I think this is also be a good movie to take kids to if they're into My Hero Academia. Certainly more so than Fairytale Dragon Cry, which I distinctly remember last year. There was at least a couple families that brought kids, little kids to that movie. And uh, there is like a BDSM dungeon scene where oh, no. I think Lucy's getting whipped and whatever, and her boobs are bouncing. And it's like, um, oh, very creepy sexual assault stuff in that movie. And it was like, why did you bring your kids to this? See, right until you said sexual assault, I was going to make a joke about how the film sounded up my alley, but now it sounds bad and I can't say <laughs> no. that. No. Uh, oh my god. Oh, literally, uh, there's this char- a character who like mind controls women. And sexually oh. assaults them. So it's it's awful. It is Way to go, fairy tale. In the West we call that the Chris Claremont treatment, uh, which any X Men readers at home will surely understand the reference. But oh, that's unfortunate. Oh it, boy. Yeah, it that was a bad I did not like that movie. Uh that was one of the big reasons. I remember hearing like, No. I I mean, obviously, you know, this movie wasn't as bad in that regard but i do remember hearing like some complaints about like when people uh when people saw like you know film golden theaters the one piece movie and how you know there there were certain suggestive little moments in that movie but like again nothing to the extent of what it sounds like that fairy tale movie had yeah i don't remember any actual sex assault and really uncomfortable like mind control submission elements no but like you know like the film gold film gold has those like you know the little things where it's like we got to make certain characters tits bounce and stuff and it's like that's the that stuff's kind of annoying but it's like yeah unfortunately one piece women have impossibly big breasts and that the animators like to make them jiggle I mean, I was going to say, guys, it, it's it's not a competition. Both One Piece and Fairy Tale can be wildly sexist. It's fine. Yo, yeah, they are. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying, I'm not necessarily saying One Piece is free of that. I'm just saying that, yeah, like. It at least wasn't quite as gross as you guys are making Dragon Cry sounds. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, luckily, My Hero Academia was free of that. So that was very nice. My Hero Academia, thankfully, uh, the two heroes in particular, I think, if like if I 
if I had like to bring like kids along, like I'd feel comfortable showing this to like, you know, a 10 year old or something. Yeah, I think that's part of what makes it accessible to an all ages audience over here. So that it doesn't go too far with that kind of like explicit sexual or violent content. That's mm-hmm. nice. E- even with characters like Mineta around, like you could. I mean, I think Mineta is a problem. There's like jokes with Mineta, like not necessarily in this movie. In this movie, it was somewhat on the tamer side, even though like I found a lot of them still grow weary. But like you know, in the manga, that freaking in line recently when like he was like telling Ari, "Oh, hit me up in ten years," like. Fuck off, Mineta. Like, who says that him. to a kid? I hate Come him on. so much. Like, I, I, I feel like we have to always say again whenever Mineta comes up, like, that is, like, Horikoshi's favorite character. Like, My Hero Academia, for what it's good, always, always side-eye that one particular fact. Uh-huh. I mean, I understand why he's his favorite character from, like, a author's perspective, because not only is his humor easy to write when you think of it, because it's, it's like, super easy to write a pervert joke, but also uh, he's easy to draw. He's probably the easiest to draw character. Like, it's pretty much, just four yeah. circles. Well, so. I mean, uh, what's the name? Uh, is it Hagakura, the Invisible Girl? Like, yeah, Invisible Girl is easier to draw, but... Yeah, like, <laughs> let, let's not take away that. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, why, why doesn't he just use Invisible Girl more to Mineta? I feel like there's probably not much else to say about the movie at this point, right? Like, we, I think it's, I mean, we obviously enjoyed it. Yeah, uh, we, I enjoyed it quite a bit. A lot of it was also thanks to the theater audience I was with. And I don't have too many complaints about it. I I think that overall it was a really, really strong movie. And I was happy with it. I think my only other complaints that I haven't mentioned so far is that, I mean, I was still a little disappointed to see so much flashback stuff towards the beginning of the movie. Like, I mean, not not the flashback showing All Might's early days. I mean, like, flashbacks to the show where they're, like, going over the whole spiel about the society and showing stuff from the first episode and all that. I was like, well, I mean, I already know this, but I guess maybe there would be people who wouldn't know this who are just seeing this movie for the first time. I'm sure there are parents taking their kids to see this that would need to know this stuff to follow along. So I understand it. But I wish it was, like, maybe reanimated or done in a different way. I thought there was a lot of uh, exposition that, you know, was a little clunky. Like, especially when Melissa is first talking to David and she's mentioned all his research accomplishments recently and all a bunch of that stuff. That felt like, well, that's not something real people would say. You're just mentioning all this background stuff to get us up to speed. You kind of work this in a little more naturally. Yeah, you like you could tell it was exposition. Yeah. So I thought that stuff was clunky. Uh, the, yeah, I was disappointed would reuse that flashback moments from the show. And that's about it for the movie itself, I guess, that I haven't already mentioned. Like I said before, I thought the villain, uh, but in the end, I guess since the the real villain was all for one, it was it, it worked out. The real villain was the friends we made along the way. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Uh, but oh, uh, so my only other thing to say uh, that has nothing to do with the, really the movie itself, but like the experience like i was surprised that funimation didn't attach the dragon ball super broly trailer to this and i was disappointed because i would like to see how my audience would have reacted to it yeah they really they really didn't have any like at least in my screening they didn't really have any trailers for any of their stuff at least not that i remember 
I got no anime trailers with my screening. I yeah, got, me neither. St- I got regular movie trailers, which threw me for a loop because I'm not usually used to seeing that for screenings. Like normally I'm used to just the movie starting right on time without any trailers or there are anime related trailers, maybe in some cases, but you know, so it threw me for a loop that, oh, we're, they're actually going to show real, they're going to show trailers for like Hollywood films before this. That's surprising. Yeah, for my theater in particular, they would, they just showed trailers for like stuff they were showing in that theater in particular. And that was really about it. Like maybe three or four and then the movie started, which I was kind of surprised that Funimation didn't like, at least at my screen, didn't really take the chance to like advertise any of their other stuff. It seems a weird waste. It does seem like a waste. Why didn't you use... There's so many people going to see this movie use it as an opportunity to promote Dragon Ball Super Broly, which is probably going to be as big or if not a bigger deal. It's it probably going to be bigger. Yeah. I mean, people, you cannot underestimate Broly as a selling point to people, never mind that it's Dragon Ball. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, ori- the original Broly, like the pre-this movie version Broly, is stupid and not great, but everyone loves him. His power is maximum. Like, <laughs> That's true. That is true. Yep. He is the devil. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Broly. Anyway, I so- saw the Broly movie, like, a couple of weeks ago from the Phantom Event screening, and, uh, woof, that is a boring movie. But yeah. also, again, Funimation dropped the ball, and they didn't attach the Dragon Ball Super Broly trailer to it. Like, what? Your, your people are in the theater <laughs> to the watch fuck? the Broly movie, and you don't show the Broly trailer? What the heck, man? What are you doing, Funimation? Instead, you show some anime expo clips of, like, skateboards. Dragon Ball Z skateboards. (laughs) (laughs) You promote skateboards, but not the super movie. What are you doing? Funny, Toby, what are you doing? Well, wasn't the whole point of these screenings to remind people of, like, the original Broly before this new one? Like, Yeah, it's to promote the Broly movie, but they're not showing the trailer. Did they forget the point? That's amazing. <laughs> oh, no. I guess they thought promoting skateboards was more important than promoting their movie. Oh, I, can just, I can just imagine the room right now. Guys, what do people like more than Broly? Skateboards. <laughs> I mean, everyone likes a skateboard. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm scared of skateboarding. Like, uh, I, I feel like if I fell off a skateboard, that's me. I'm gone. I'm done. Like, I, yeah, I could just imagine myself just like setting like my tippy toe on a skateboard and just like launching myself back on my back. Like, oh my God. <laughs> exactly, yeah. right? Tried it as a kid, never mastered it, so not my primary mode of transportation. Uh, I, I liked bicycles as a kid, which meant I had to play Matt Hoffman's Pro BMX instead of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, and that's not true. No one played that game. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh. But uh, yeah, all b- apparently wasted opportunities aside, um, yeah, Two Heroes was was really good. I, I really enjoyed it, and... Uh, yeah, that's really all I all I have to say. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if there will be any more screenings by the time you listen to this episode, because the last scheduled screening is supposed to be October 2nd. But hey, it's doing so well, they might extend it for uh, some time longer. Maybe, I could see that. Right now, My Hero Academia 2 Heroes has already become the third most highest grossing film Funimation has released. Wow. It's current, like, at the time of this recording... The top two is are Dragon Ball Z Resurrection F and Your Name. Dragon Ball Z Resurrection F uh, grossed $8 million, 
and your name grossed five million dollars. And uh, Dragon Ball Z Resurrection F was in nine hundred theaters, so it was almost double of MHA's theaters. I'm sure Super will be in just as many theaters. So we'll see how how well Super does. If it surpasses Resurrection F. Funimation, if you're listening, not only should you be advertising uh, your Broly movie in theaters, I don't know why you're not doing that, but you should also put it in more theaters. Give it a more wider release. It'll do well. At least I would I would think so anyway. Well, 900 theaters is uh, still pre- pretty extensive as far as this kind of screening goes. Like When I say I think wider release, like- I mean like no, none of this. Let's show it for three. Three to five days, maybe an extra week, and then that's it. I mean, like, whole month showings. Yeah, like Your Name. That's what Your Name got. Now, Your Name was only in, like, 300 theaters, but, like, the A&C, I very frequently visit. They showed it for, like, six weeks, multiple showings a day. Really? Wow. Wow. It wasn't in as many theaters as, like, Resurrection F, but it was in for way longer with way more showtimes. That's amazing. I didn't know that, actually. It'd be interesting to see how My Hero Academia could have done if it was given, like, as many showtimes as that. Like, I'm sure in some locations it has been given many more showtimes because I the theater I went to yesterday, like, they added... Originally, there was only going to be that 4 p.m. showtime, but they added five more showtimes afterwards just recently because the movie was doing so well. So there were six showtimes yesterday. Maybe maybe the, maybe it's just my theaters that aren't on the ball because like uh, for these for like especially Funimation movies like they only have like maybe one or two screenings like on the days they're set to show them and that's always disappointing and I was telling I was telling you off mic but uh, my AMC theaters around here don't show these movies they don't show Funimation movies like at all yeah I mean. Like, my local AMC didn't show it. I mean, I had to drive to a different one. But still, like, I'm glad it was in an AMC and that they... It's doing well for them that they're adding more showtimes. So that's nice. But it all depends on, like, I guess the community you're with and how much interest there is for, like, specific types of anime movies. And also the deals that the theater it, that itself makes to get those movies. Because my th- local theater gets Fatim events. So any anime movie associated with a Fatim event will be shown there. And there's also specific other select movies that they go out of their way for. But it's very circumstantial. Um, but yeah, I think um, I think we could probably just start wrapping up here pretty soon. Yeah, that does it for today's episode of Manga Mavericks Ad Movies. It's been a long time since the last episode. But yeah, this was the show where we talk about everything except the movie itself for most of the episode. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, what does my good coast V-Lord GTZ have to say? Let's ask him. Please leave your message for. <laughs> Wake up, Waylord! It's already 1.30! You shouldn't be sleeping in so late to the afternoon! And we're still recording. You're ruining the podcast, Waylord! We needed you! <laughs> we want you to give your opinion about My Academia 2 Heroes! Huh. <sighs> You know that that was worth like the uh, the ten seconds of silence while we patiently waited for what was going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, oh my god! 
One of these days, Lord will answer my phone calls. And that is going to be the end of our show. I really hope you guys enjoyed the, our discussion of Two Heroes and All Might Rising, as well as all the other My Hero Academia things that we had to talk about, uh, despite this being delayed by about three weeks. But, you know, yeah, uh, I'm really glad we could get this out. I had a lot of fun talking about the movie. Um, I, I really just like talking about My Hero Academia in general. Um, hopefully we can find more excuses to talk about My Hero Academia in the future. Maybe finally talk about Vigilantes as soon as I, like, get on reading that. Because I haven't read it yet, unfortunately. I hear it's good. Uh, anyway, big thanks to uh, Maxie Bernard uh, for coming on the show and mostly listening to us talk about the movie. Um, but, no, he, he was really fun to have on. We always enjoy having him on the show. Especially since because we really love his work over at Friendship Effort Victory, uh, basically a website slash podcast where he talks about, you know, Shonen Jump manga and whatnot. He talks about other manga nowadays, but, you know, he he's, he just likes talking about manga. And you know what? If you want to uh, follow him on Twitter to see him talk about uh, uh, manga that isn't licensed, that he's reading through various different magazines that he purchases himself, uh, you want to follow Maxi on Twitter at MaxiTheBee which is, by the way, a really cute username. I don't know if I've ever told Maxi that, but I'm sure he's listening. So Maxi, great username. Like, I got to give you props. It's it's really adorable. Uh, but anyway, um, uh, I really enjoy following Maxi. I always enjoy seeing what he's reading. But also, yeah, back to Friendship Effort Victory. You want to go uh, visit the website at friendshipeffortvictory.com and uh, definitely listen to his podcast uh, whenever you have the time or whenever a new episode of that finally comes out. I know he's kind of on and off working on that um i'll keep waiting though i'll keep waiting I, I am forever looking forward to a new episode of that show whenever it comes out um but uh, if you want to follow lum you can follow him on twitter at lum ramayasha uh you can also follow him on uh my anime list annie list uh you can find him over at the animation revelation forums uh he also uh does reviews every once in a while for allcomic.com reviewing various different manga on the site uh, so please go check out his reviews whenever you have the chance. I know he likes to review uh, Dragon Ball Super mostly. Um, I don't know what else he's reviewing at the moment. Um, but yeah, just please go follow him and uh, say say hi to him on Twitter. Again, he's on Twitter at LamRamayasha. And speaking of Twitter, you can find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. Uh, I'm Colton, by the way, in case you, in case you didn't know. Um, but yeah, I'm posting stuff on there too. I do manga threads, yada, yada, yada. I also do other podcasts. Uh, there's Life Lessons, the Gintama Manga Cast. If you're a fan of Gintama and you want to know uh, what the old Viz Media release was like uh, back in the day, back almost 10 years ago, oof. Uh, you want to go follow that podcast. It's on a bit of a hiatus at the moment, uh, but we still have a huge backlog of episodes that you can listen to over at gintalifelessons.wordpress.com. Uh, you can also listen to One Podcast Prevails at OnePodcastPrevails.com. It's uh, sort of a similar show, except uh, we talk about Detective Conan or Case Closed, whatever you want to call it. Um, we talk about that series through the Viz Media release as well, uh, except I record it with my friend Doctor over from the Ass Backwards Anime podcast. Uh, please go listen to that show, especially if you're a fan of Conan. I really enjoy recording that show. It's really fun. Um and so yeah again that's at onepodcastprevails.com uh, but as for the podcast in general you want to go to all-comic.com because that is where we post every episode first uh, you can also follow all comic on facebook.com slash all.comic or on twitter.com 
slash allcomic underscore. But if you want to follow uh, Manga Mavericks specifically, you want to follow us on Twitter at manga underscore mavericks, as well as mangamavericks.tumblr.com for all the latest updates on the podcast. And uh, you also want to subscribe to us on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash manga mavericks. Um, we basically post excerpts from the podcast, whether they be, you know, whatever news pieces we talk about on the show or or whatever series we talk about, you know, as bite sized as we can manage excerpts on YouTube there. Um, so, yeah, definitely go subscribe to us on YouTube uh, if you prefer that platform. Um, if you want to email us anything, uh, what do you think about My Hero Academia 2 Heroes? Uh, what do you think of My Hero Academia in general? Um, you know, what are you reading? What do you want us to read and uh, talk about on the show? Uh, email us anything about any of those things over at mangamavericks.gmail.com, and we will read your emails on the show. Um, but the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. I don't know what we call it. Um, that really helps the visibility of our show. And so, yeah, uh, please go do all three of those things if you so wish. But I think that's going to be about it for this episode. Uh, This has been episode 63 of the podcast, and we will see you guys next time for episode 64. Bye, guys.